Good evening. It is so good to be with you this evening as we open the Word of God together. I'm sure some people in the congregation have been thinking to themselves over the past few weeks, I wonder, is this student preacher any good? Uh, well, it reminds me of a story that I heard about a little boy uh, one Sunday morning after the, the service. The, the pastor had finished preaching and his parents were talking to other members of the congregation, as parents always do. And so a little boy wanted to pass some time, so he went up to the pastor in the pulpit and he said, Pastor, whenever you're older, I want to give you some money. And the pastor said, well, that's very kind of you, but why do you want to give me some money? And the little boy replied, well, my daddy was talking about you last night, and he said you're one of the poorest preachers we've ever had. I hope that's not the case tonight. I hope whenever you go home in your car, you're not saying, sure, Brian Cruz is a poor preacher. Uh, but tonight, Pastor Craig has asked me to do a series alongside him on a Wednesday evening. And I thought it would be beneficial for us all to look at certain miracles in the Word of God. Certain times whenever the Lord Jesus finds himself in the midst of a seeming crisis. And yet how each crisis was actually fertile soil for a miracle. And so I've entitled our series that we're going to do together, Christ in the Crisis. Christ in the Crisis. And this evening, if you would turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 6, John chapter 6, we're going to be looking at the only miracle that's mentioned in every gospel apart from the resurrection. The only miracle that's mentioned in every gospel apart from the resurrection. John chapter 6, and reading at verse number 1, we're going to read the first 13 verses together. John chapter 6 and verse 1. The word of God says this. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and the great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were deceased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in the number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were sat down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. And amen. And we know God's word does not return to him void. Tonight I would like to simply go through this passage verse by verse. Now we're not going to glean something from every verse. But the verses that we look at, surely we can glean a gem of truth that we can apply to our own lives as we look at them. Now we have much ground to cover tonight. So you'll forgive me if we just dive right in. In verse number one, it says this regarding the passage. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. 
Only in John's gospel does he refer to it as the Sea of Tiberias. Only John. And I love John's gospel. And I love John's gospel for so many reasons. And I really wish that we could uh, go into that tonight. But John's gospel is so unique among all gospels in the word of God. But only John refers to it as the Sea of Tiberias. And the reason for that is because of the city of Tiberias, which sat on the eastern shore. And a unique thing about the city of Tiberias is this. Never in the Gospels will you ever read of the Lord Jesus setting foot in Tiberias. Despite the fact he was born only a few miles away. Despite the fact his base of operations, Capernaum, was only a few miles away. Jesus never set foot in Tiberias. And there's a unique reason for that. The reason Jesus never set foot in Tiberias is because the city was actually built over a, a gravesite. Any self-respecting Jew would never set foot in the city. It was built by Herod Antipas in AD 22. And so Jesus never went there. But it's remarkable that he never went there. He never ministered there. And we'll see how it's remarkable in a few moments' time. It says in this verse that after these things. Now, if you read your passage like, like you were just reading it like a book, you would think that chapter 5 follows on from chapter 6 quite chronologically. You would think chapter 5 is just before chapter 6. Surely the things that were before is verse 47 in chapter 5. But it's not. You see, in between chapter 5 and chapter 6, about several months have passed. Several months have passed in, these two, in between these two chapters. Because here in John chapter 6 and verse 4, it mentions the Passover. This is the second Passover in John's Gospel. The first one is in chapter 2, verse 13. So you can see we're already a few months into the ministry of the Lord Jesus. We're already about one-third, if not halfway there. Because in John chapter 5 and verse 1, it mentions a feast of the Jews. So we're already several months into the Lord Jesus' ministry. It's probably about springtime whenever this happens, and we'll see that later on. You see, before this year, Jesus sent his apostles into the Galilean cities and villages to preach and to teach and to cast out demons. In fact, Jesus also went into cities to do exhausting ministry by himself. Oftentimes, whenever we think of the disciples being with the Lord Jesus for three and a half years, we think that they spent all that time together. Not the case. It's not the case. Because the disciples went into the Galilean villages and towns for several months. Several months. It wasn't just a weekend excursion. Jesus left them to do ministry on their own. And Jesus went another direction to do ministry. Matthew 11 verse 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples. He departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. And after this time they all come together. And it's a t the Lord Jesus knows that his disciples need a period of rest. It's really a bit of a debrief. Jesus wants to know how they got on in their ministry in these cities. Jesus finds a, a spot to secluded that he can meet with his disciples. That's why he goes up to a mountain in verse 3 with his disciples. It's a time of rest and recuperation together. Jesus has just learned, humanly speaking at least, of the death of John the Baptist. Many pilgrims are on their way to Jerusalem for the, for the Passover. And so Jesus seeks a moment alone with his disciples. Now I want to tell you this. If you were to read just chapter 6, these 13 verses, and you were to read of how Philip doubted, of how Andrew doubted, you would think to yourself, hey, that makes sense. That makes sense that they would doubt. Because they have to feed so many people. But putting in the context of the fact that they just returned from being in Galilean villages for several months, 
doing miracles and preaching in Jesus' name. It puts a bit of a spin on it. You would wonder why after spending several months doing miracles in Jesus' name that these men had doubts now. Why have doubts now after spending several months preaching and casting out demons in Jesus' name? In fact, the Bible says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 1 that whenever Jesus sent them out, he gave them power and authority in his name. Nowhere in the word of God does it say Jesus took it back again. Nowhere in the word of God does it say Jesus took it back again. So you, you have to question why these men in this circumstance begin to doubt. Begin to doubt. It says in verse 5 that when Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great multitude come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? The reason he was talking to Philip, I believe, is because Philip was a native of the region. Probably knew the best place where to buy bread. So was Peter and Andrew. These were natives of that area, Bethesda. They were well acquainted of the region. And so Philip, or John, or Jesus even, begins to ask Philip what to do. Verse 6, and he said this to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. In the word of God, whenever Jesus asks a question, it's never for the purpose of gaining more knowledge. Because that will be an impossibility for the Lord. The reason Jesus asked questions in the gospel was to teach others. The re only reason Jesus ever asked questions was to probe the mind of other individuals. I think parents are so good at this. Especially dads. Dads have this down to a fine art. You know whenever your son comes to you and they're wee nippers and they say, Daddy, my bicycle has a flat tire. And you turn to them and you say, well, son, what are we going to do about that? Now, I imagine you know fine rightly how to change a flat tire on a bicycle. Nobody needs to teach you that there. You know how to do it. But you're probing the mind of your son. You're asking the question to make him think about it. What do you think we should do? What do you think is the best solution here? Even though you already know. And Jesus is doing the same thing. He's making Philip think. What do you think we should do? Are you going to act in faith? What do you think we should do? But then we see Philip's answer. Such a human answer, isn't it? That's the answer I would give, no doubt. Philip answered in verse 7, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. 200 penny worth denarii is what the currency would have been. It would have been about eight months wages. Eight months wages would have what, is what would have been needed to feed these people. You see, Philip's mind immediately began to run up the cost of the operation. He quickly calculated in his head how many man hours it would take and how much money it would take to feed all those people. He seen the task as impossible because he approached it as if everything really depended on himself. He started calculating, but he calculated without Christ. He focused too much on the problem and not the problem solver. And I think we do that so often whenever we come to a crisis. Whenever we come to a crisis in our own personal lives or even as a church assembly, how often do we focus on the problem and not the problem solver? How often do we think to ourselves, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't have the capabilities. I don't have the abilities. I don't have the power in and of myself. I can't do this. Or we do it as a church fellowship. Maybe we're holding a praise night or something and we have to bring in more chairs. We have to bring in speakers. We have to do such things. And we just think to ourselves, I can't do this. We can't do this. Too often we focus on the problem and not the problem solver. You know, Philip reminds me of individuals, individuals who focus too much on what they can do themselves. 
as if it was by their own merit or by their own labor or by their own achievement that things are done in the church. But it's through Christ. It's through Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not blackening Philip. His answer is the answer that I would have given probably. But you can see here and wonder why this man focuses too much on the problem and not the problem solver. Andrew's the same. Andrew's the same. In verse 9 he says this. There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? You know I was talking to Pastor Craig on Sunday about the ideas that were running through my head of what series I was going to do. I was thinking of doing the, the disciples. A character study on each of them. Every Wednesday evening. I like Andrew. I like Andrew. Andrew is a man who doesn't have a place of prominence in the Gospels. Doesn't have a place of prominence among the twelve. But he's very much a people person. Very much so. He was a man who always brought others to Jesus. He was a man who took his commission to heart. To become a fisher of men. He was the focus. He's the focus of attention only three times in the Gospels. Only three times. And in each of those times, he's bringing someone to the Lord. In John 1, 41, he brings his brother, Peter. Here in John 6, he brings a small boy with five loaves and two fish. In John 12, he brings the Greeks who wish to see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. Andrew is a man who didn't care for a place of prominence among the twelve. Being with Jesus and serving Jesus was enough. It was enough. He was quite content to be overshadowed by his brother. Quite content to take second place. And yet see how God used him. See how God used him. And yet like Philip. Andrew's focus is just a wee bit off. It's just a wee bit misplaced. You see he zeroed in on what they did not have. Enough food for everyone. What is this among so many? In fact the whole speech in and of itself. In verse number 9. Is diminutive. The word for lad here. Means little boy. Andrew's saying, this little boy here, he has five loaves and two fish. John records it as barley loaves. Barley loaves were actually the poorest class of bread. It wasn't wheat bread, it was barley bread. It was the poorest class of bread. Only John records this. And the bread was of no size. No size. It would have been about the size of a pancake. This size. And then he brings fish as well. The two fish that he has were probably pickled like dried fish. Probably about this size. This little boy brought a small pack lunch with him. He brought a small pack lunch with him. And whenever Andrew brings him forward he says this little boy has these little things with him. But sure what are they among so many? But what are they among so many? But you know the striking thing about this. In the gospel of Matthew it records that there are 5,000 men. 5,000 men besides women and children. Besides women and children. I'm going to have to be honest with you church. I think that's a big besides. That's a big besides. Because biblical scholars estimate that the actual number was about 10,000. Could have been 15,000. If it was 15,000. That means that the, men, the women and children outnumbered the men. The women and children outnumbered the men. I have to be honest with you. I think overall in the church that's so true. Is it not? Whenever we have Sunday schools, it's often the woman who teaches. 
whenever we have missionaries. I think of two faith mission missionaries who came to the Rural Valley area, Valley Kelly and Amavati, and I still hear stories about how they witnessed for the Lord. Missionaries who were ladies. How often is it whenever you have a Sunday school class or a missionary or something going on, it's a woman who organizes it. Now I'm not saying that's the case here in Grange Baptist, but in the church as a whole. Where are the men? Where are the men? I think that's a big besides. In this here count, the 5,000, the women and children aren't actually included. They're not part of the head count. It was common for that to happen. In your genealogy, you're not really counted if you're a, a woman. You're not really counted if you're a child. It doesn't really happen. It happens in God's word, of course. God's word's special. Whenever it says 5,000 men, what it really means is 5,000 households. There's 5,000 households here. And I think that's significant. Why? Because God, that is the Lord Jesus, uses a boy. Somebody who wasn't even part of the head count is the person that Jesus uses. God often uses people that we say don't count. The women and children weren't counted, but it was a small boy who brought bread. When Jesus seen the small boy, he took the least of these and what he offered and turned it into a miraculous blessing and what he gave more than met the need because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. I want to tell you, friend, if you're here tonight and you feel like you're not enough for God to use, you maybe feel like your gifts or your abilities, your skills are not enough to bring to the master. I want to tell you that they are. Whatever you have to offer into the hands of Jesus Christ to use for his glory, it is enough for Jesus to use, no matter how small you think it is. No matter how small you think it is. And when God looks for someone to use, he often looks for the underlooked. Am I wrong? He often looks for the underlooked. God often calls the youngest son, who the family didn't even think was worthy to bring in from looking after the sheep. That's the person God uses that's the person that God uses. And in verse 10, whenever this small boy comes forward, it says, And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. It's about springtime here. There's much grass in the place. Jesus gets them to sit down. Now the word used here in the original Greek is often used in secular documents. It's a horticultural term, believe it or not. It's a horticultural term. It can be used to apply to flower beds. If that's the right word to use. Flower beds. It represents a division. Like a rectangular flower bed. Jesus said, make the, make the men sit down. In sort of rows. You have to picture it like a flower bed on either side. Where a man can walk up in water. Jesus says, make the men sit down. In these type of flower beds. So the disciples can walk up. And distribute bread and fish. And so this is what happens. The men begin to sit down. And I want you to notice something about this. There could be about 15,000 people that have to be seated. 15,000. And that takes time. That takes time. You know dear friend. Some of the greatest miracles that take place in our lives. They don't just happen like that. They take time. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been praying for an individual close to your heart. 
You've been playing, praying for a relative or a, a colleague or a friend. And you've been praying for years. And you begin to question in yourself, why is it taking so long? I want to tell you, friends, some miracles take time. Some miracles take time. We can see this happen here. It took time for 15,000 people to sit down. And I want you to notice something about the, the guests at this banquet. This banquet was really an open field. There was no walls and no doors. There was nobody guarding the entrance to this great feast. It was a free-for-all. Didn't matter who you were. Didn't matter if you were a rascal. You could come and sit and have bread. You can come and sit and take fish. Whoever will, let him come. Whoever will, let him come. We don't know what type of people they were. The only good thing we know about them is that they heard the Lord Jesus Christ. They saw him do miracles in verse 2. And so they came to hear him preach. They saw him do miracles and so they came to hear him. That's the only good thing we know about them. They came to hear the Lord. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter if they were a rascal or not. They were welcome at the banquet. They were welcome to, to receive from the Lord. You know, it didn't matter if they were rascals. Why? Because when did Jesus Christ wait until men deserved it? Huh? But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. After this, Jesus, in verse 11, he took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Verse 11, and Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, there's just one wee sentence I want to leave with you regarding this first. Gratification always precedes multiplication. Gratification always precedes multiplication. Are you thankful for what you have now? Are you thankful for what you have now? If you're thankful for what you have now, God will add to it. God will add to it. If you're thankful for what you have now. I'm not saying I'll add to everything. Don't be thankful for your car thinking tomorrow you're going to get a Ferrari from the Lord. But if you're thankful, God will multiply. Gratification always precedes multiplication. You have to be thankful for what you have. And this little boy came forward and he gave to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus took the loaves. I want you to notice something. Probably you've heard, you've probably heard this before. But it's a very important point And therefore I'm going to restate it tonight. This little boy, whenever he walked forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't say to the Lord Jesus, you know what, my mummy made me this lunch. How about you take one fish and I'll keep the other? Take you, take you two of the loaves and I'll keep three. Mm -mm. Whenever the little boy came forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps with trembling hands, he didn't say anything like that. Whenever the little boy came forward to the Lord, he gave everything to Jesus. He gave everything to Jesus. I wonder, dear friend, are you here tonight and you can safely say with confidence, I have given everything to the Lord. I have given everything to the Lord. Jesus took the, the five loaves of bread and the two fish into his hands. And I want, you to, I want you to picture it in your mind's eye tonight. This little boy who goes forward, trembling hands, and passes them into the omnipotent hands of the Savior. And Jesus looks up and gives thanks and begins to multiply. Is that not what Jesus can do with whatever you bring to him? This little boy had to give up his lunch, not knowing whether or not he'd go hungry or not. But he ended up meeting, eating far more than what he had originally. Powerful that. 
What the wee boy gave to the Lord Jesus was nothing compared to what he got back. Nothing. The same can be said of any Christian life. Whatever you give to the Lord, the Lord gives more and above back. My friend, you and I are associated with the Lord Jesus Christ, just like the bread and the fish. They were touched by the omnipotent hands of the Savior. And henceforth, those loaves didn't have anything really to do with the wee boy's sacrifice. We don't read really of the wee boy's sacrifice in verse 11. We just read of the Savior's power. Whenever you bring whatever talent or skill or ability you have, it doesn't matter about the sacrifice that you bring. All that matters then is about the power of the Savior has. The power of the Savior. Out of our hands, we bring nothing but barley loaves. But Jesus blesses and multiplies. He blesses and multiplies. You know, in Matthew 14, verse 11, the other text concerning this passage or this miracle, Jesus says to the others around him, regarding the five loaves and the two fish, he says, bring them hither to me. Bring them hither to me. Matthew 14, 11. Maybe you're here tonight and as I say, you think to yourself that you don't have a skill or an ability. You don't have a gifting to bring to the Lord. My friend, can you not hear the compassionate words of the Savior tonight? Bring them hither to me and I will multiply. And I will multiply. You know, friend, no matter how little you think it is, I want to remind you of that little simple sentence. Little as much when God is in it. Little as much when God is in it. It tells us that these individuals were sat down. In Bible times, whenever you would eat your food, it was quite normal to sit down. You reclined. And whenever they sat down and they began to eat, there was plenty to go around. More than enough, in fact. And John states that in John 6, 11. And they likewise of the fishes as much as they would. John actually records it in such a way to contrast Philip and Andrew's comments. You see, Philip's comment was, sure, there's not enough for everyone, not enough money for everyone to even receive a little. There's not enough money for everyone to even receive a little. Andrew in verse 9, but what are these among so many? Not enough money, and if we had enough money, you could only get a little. And Andrew says, but sure, that's not enough among so many. And then whenever the miracle takes place in verse 11, John records that there was as much as they would. There was more than enough. There was more than enough. And therefore at the end of the miracle in verse 13. The Lord Jesus Christ commands them to gather up the fragments in verse 12. Whenever I was a wee boy here in this story. I used to gross myself out. Because I thought that fragments were the bits that fell out of your mouth. And Jesus was saying gather up the crumbs there. We don't want them to go to waste. No not at all. Not at all. Whenever Jesus says in verse 12 to gather up the fragments. This command is actually also omitted from other Gospels. Again, John's Gospel is the only one that records it. Here, whenever we read fragments, it's not the bit that drips from your mouth or falls out from your mouth. It's the fish and the loaves that were left over. It's the fish and the loaves that were left over. And I want you to picture the basket as well. It wasn't just a wee basket that you carry like this. These were baskets. Baskets. In fact, these baskets typically would have been used to carry a person's provision for a two or three day journey. Imagine that. A two or three day journey. And 12 baskets were filled. What a saviour. What a saviour. And what power he has. 
And I think it's remarkable that there were 12 baskets of food left. I'll tell you my opinion. And it's just my opinion. Those are naughty words for preachers. But it's just my opinion. I think that there were 12 baskets left over because every disciple took a basket to remind them not to doubt. Not to doubt. You, you questioned at the start, even though you shouldn't have, because you'd just come back from the villages doing miracles in my name, and now there's 12 baskets left. I believe this is Jesus saying to them, you take that to remind you. You take that to remind you of what I'm capable of. Each one of you take a basket. Each one of you take a basket to remind you of what I can do. Christ not only provided enough food to satisfy the hungry crowd, but he actually gave his disciples the meal for the next day as well. Quite different from the manna we read in the Old Testament, isn't it? You couldn't gather up enough for the next day or it would go bad. But Jesus provided enough for even the next day. When Jesus saw the five loaves and the two small fish, unlike his disciples, he didn't see the impossible demand that was placed on him. Impossible. Jesus saw the supply. His disciples saw the demand, but Jesus saw the supply. God. And God's power. And this miracle that we read of tonight in this gospel. This miracle is not just a literal miracle that was witnessed by thousands of people. It's also, it's also a parable in a sense. Now I don't mean it's a literal parable. Don't go home and say Brian Cruz thinks the feeding of the 5,000 is a parable. I don't. But there's teaching in it. There's teaching in it. There's teaching in it concerning the all-sufficient power of the Lord Jesus Christ. To meet the needs of his church. To meet the needs of his in, uh, inadequate servants like you and me. And although they were completely inadequate to meet the needs of the hungry crowd. They gave what little they had and Jesus blessed it and multiplied so that they could distribute to everyone. What a saviour. What a saviour. And at the end of the day the disciples should have learned a clear lesson. No doubt. No doubt. Never gauge the size of a challenge in terms of your own capabilities. Never gauge the size of a challenge in terms of your own capabilities. God can take little and make it much. Can he not? God can take little and make it much. Genesis. He took the dust of the ground. What did he make? An image bearer. Moses' staff. David's stone. Elijah's cloak. A widow's jar of oil. Samson's donkey jawbone. A small boy's lunch. He can take your small missionary support check and use it. He can take your little stuttering, stammering prayer and use it. He can take your tithe that you give to your church regardless of how small you think it is and use it. He can take your prep time for your Sunday school class no matter how rushed and inadequate you feel it is and use it. God can take little and use it. Because we serve a perfect saviour. A perfect saviour. I want to tell you friend. Just as we close tonight. That Jesus Christ is the same all powerful saviour. That we read of in John 6. That we have today. And our Samson. That is the Lord Jesus. Has not lost any of his hair. Our Solomon. The Lord Jesus has not lost any of his wisdom. Our Emmanuel has not ceased. To be God with us. Friend, if there's anything you take away from our meeting tonight, I want to remind you of this. Just again, that little simple sentence. Little as much 
when God is in it. Perhaps you find yourself in a crisis and perhaps you look too much to the problem. I want to remind you of our title tonight. Christ in the crisis. Christ in the crisis. If you find yourself in one, whether as a church or as an individual or as a family, look to Christ and Christ will be there. Amen. Amen.